0: Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger We would like to begin this evening uh, in our first lecture dealing with the explanation of the sharh of the essay of الإمام أبو محمد عبد الله بن أحمد ابن محمد بن قدامه المقدسي رحمه الله his book entitled لمعة الاعتقاد لمعة الاعتقاد الحادي إلى السبيل الرشاد this book السلام الله is a very important summary of the Aqeedah of the Ahl-Sunnah Wal-Jama'ah by one of the foremost Imams of the Ahl-Sunnah and particularly of the Hanbali Madhab. Previously we completed the essay of Al-Imam Abu Ja'afa al-Tahawi rahimahullah who was a very famous and great Hanafi scholar and today we begin with the aqeedah of Ahl-Sunnah as it was recorded by a Hanbali scholar and I mention this to remind us of the fact that the aqeedah, the Islamic creed or the Islamic belief system it is referred to as Al Usul, the fundamentals, the fundamentals of the Deen. And it is significant to note that while the scholars of the secondary sciences or Al Furu, the fiqh or Islamic jurisprudence, while they differed on many issues related to Islamic law, Basically they agreed on the fundamental issues related to Islamic creed. And we will note as we study this book, that the Aqidah of Al-Imam Ibn Qudama, a Hanbali scholar in Fiqh, is no different than the Aqidah of Al-Imam Al-Tahawi, a Hanafi scholar in Fiqh. Concerning this book, we will find that it gives us a clear picture of the pure, Aqidah or beliefs of the Ahl sunnah wal Jamaah, sometimes referred to as al furqa and Najiyah the saved sect, as the Prophet sallallahu alaihi indicated in the hadith in which he prophesied that his ummah would be divided into seventy-three sects, and all of them would be in the fire except one. So this aqidah we will find that al-Imam Ibn Qudama rahimahullah has mentioned in it some of the important issues, the general important issues and some of the details that are agreed upon by the early scholars of the Muslim ummah particularly the scholars of hadith, the imams of hadith and that aqidah is taken directly from the Quran and from the authentic sunnah of the Prophet as it was understood by the Sahaba his companions we will find here the mention of many verses of Quran and many hadith of the Prophet and we will find the mention of the sayings of the companions, the Sahaba as well as the explanations of the great scholars of Islam. Imam Ibn Qadamah, it is said concerning him, can someone take this, take the quote, that he was an Imam in al ilm and Al-Amal, not only an Imam in terms of his status, as a person of knowledge but also his practicing the knowledge that he learned. His aqidah or his beliefs based on the Qur'an and Sunnah had a great effect in his lifestyle until it was said of him مَن رَآهُ كَأَنَّهُ بَعْدَ that whoever saw him it was as though it was as though they saw some of the companions mean yeah, his lifestyle was in accordance with the aqidah that he believed in and it helped him to frame his life and to develop his character to such an extent that when people saw him it was as though they saw one of the great companions of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam radiyallahu anhum Al- Al-Allama Ibn Qayyim Rahimahullah the great scholar and student of Ibn Sayniyya in his book Ijtima al-Juyush al islamiyah mentions in that book a paragraph in which he says that the same uh, of Shaykh al-Islam muwaffaq al-Din Abi Muhammad Abdullah ibn Ahmed al maqdisi that his opinion and his explanation and expression Concerning the aqeedah, the Islamic aqeedah has been agreed upon by the tawa'if. Yani it has been agreed upon and accepted by the various groups of Muslims. And they have recognized his greatness and his imamship as a great scholar of the Muslim Ummah. Except the jahmiyyah or the mu'attila. Those people who deviated seriously concerning the characteristics of Allah or the sifat asma Allah or Sifati. Of course this book as the previous essays which we have taken is a, is a summary. It is not one of those comprehensive books of aqeedah that are in many, many volumes. But as it has been our custom previously to try to take some of the summarized essays of the well-known scholars of Islam in order to briefly cover what they said concerning the Islamic aqeedah to know clearly what we are to be believe in based on evidence from the Quran and Sunnah and to try to develop our understanding properly in order to correct our lives and to correct our relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to help others Concerning the biography of Al-Imam Ibn Qudama or a brief biography because the biographies of Imam ibn Qudama are somewhat lengthy. Many of the scholars mention his biography in many pages. But in brief, we can say that his name, he is known as Muwafakuddin Abu Muhammad, Abdullah ibn Ahmed, ibn Muhammad, ibn Qudama, ibn ibni ibn Nakr, ibn Abdullah al maktifi then he is known as Ad dimashqi from the city of Dimashqif. al from an area in Asham or in that part of the world. al Faqi, the scholar of fiqh, al-Zahid, the one who abstained from engaging, over-engaging in worldly enjoyments or worldly pleasures, al-Imam, Shaykh al-Islam, uh, Ibn Qudam. And also, some of the scholars in other biographies mention that Ibn Qudama, in his lineage, we find that it goes back to Salem, the son of Abdullah ibn al-Khattab, radiyallahu anhu. And in that case, some of the scholars mention that he is Umari, also, Umari. Meaning, yeah, tracing his lineage back to Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiyallahu anhu, the second khalifa in Islam, or the second khalifa of the Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Imam ibn Qudama was born in the month of Sha'ban in the year 541 of the Hijri calendar. Near the end of the middle of the 6th century after the migration of the Prophet. He was born in a village known as Jama'il in Palestine. And he, in his upbringing, concerning his upbringing and traveling, it's, it is mentioned that he traveled to Damascus with his family when he was 10 years old, just as a child. And this happened on the occasion of the defeat of the Muslims in Jerusalem by the Crusaders. When the Muslims were defeated in Jerusalem, some of the Muslims, and from amongst them the father of Ali imam ibn Qudama, his father was a scholar also. And his father saw fit to migrate or to make hijrah from the land that was under the authority of the Christian pagans. So he migrated to Damascus, the father of Imam Ibn Qudama, while Ibn Qadamah was 10 years old. There he read the Quran and memorized it, and memorized some of the summarized books concerning different Islamic sciences. Not long after that, he traveled to Baghdad along with his cousin the son of his mother's sister who later became known as Al-Hafiz Taqiyyudin Abdul Ghani Ibn Abdul Wahid Al-Jamaili and that was in the year 561 his cousin was also a great scholar of hadith and fiqh and was known uh, for his knowledge of hadith particularly there he studied with the major scholars in Baghdad and he stayed there approximately four years at which time he returned to Damascus it is said also that he studied fiqh until he surpassed his companions or his comrades the other students of knowledge who were with him and he became known for, the, for being يعني, one of the most excellent or the most knowledgeable of those people who had knowledge of the fiqh of the Hanbali Madhab and the fundamentals of that Madhab and from amongst the scholars that he studied with at that time was the famous scholar Abdul Qadir Al Jilani Rahimahullah who many people have attributed uh, they have attributed to him amazing feats, and some of them attributed to him false beliefs and many of the people who identify themselves with Tasawwuf or Sufism declare him to be a saint and some of them do those things which were actually acts of worship, visiting the grave, praying to him, seeking intercession and so on. From so Amongst the scholars that he studied with, uh, one of the most famous of them was the, the, the great scholar of the al-Iraq, Nasih al-Islam, Abu al-Fath, Nasr ibn Fatian, who was well known by the name of ibn al-Manna. Amongst his students, and there are many, was the scholar Shihabuddin Abu Shama al-Maqdisi who died in the year 665, Al-Hafiz Zakiyyauddin Abu Muhammad al-Munzari who died in the year 656. who was also a great scholar of hadith and one of the famous books by Imam al-Munzari is Al-Targheeb, Al-Tarheeb, al tarheeb the famous book of hadith in which he collected many many inspiring hadith which motivate the muslim to do good and discourage the muslim from doing evil amongst the sayings of the scholars about al-imam ibn Qudamah, rahimahullah is the saying of abu amr ibn salah the scholar whose book uh... has been the muqaddimah has been taken as a as the primary source book for the study of of hadith Ibn Salah said about Imam ibn Qudama, I haven't seen anyone like him. Yani no one comparable to him or equal to him. Ibn Taymiyyah said concerning him Bada Al Afqa min al that no one has entered a sham. That area of the world which today is Divided up into a number of countries including Syria, Jordan, Palestine, etc. Ulu Taymiyyah said that no scholar entered that area. And that area was known for people of knowledge. That no one entered since al-Imam al Audai. No one entered since him that was more knowledgeable in fiqh than al-Shaykh al-Muwaffaq ibn Qudama. One of his students, al-Munzari, said that he is al faqih al-Imam the great scholar of fiqh and imam, imam and fiqh and he uh, gave fatwa he taught the people and he wrote many books of fiqh and other sciences some of them summaries and some of them very long which we will mention inshallah Al-Imam Al-Zahabi who was one of the students of Ibn Taymiyyah and is considered to be an imam in hadith on his own Imam al-Zahabi, who wrote uh, the very, very famous book in 25 volumes of the biographies of the scholars of Islam, Siah al-Alam al-Nubala. In that book, Imam al-Zahabi mentions that Ibn Qudama is Ahad al i al alam al That he is one of the great, يعني, well-known and prominent scholars and Imams, and he is a person who has compiled or written many, many works or many books. Al-Hafiz, Ibn al the great scholar of Tafsir, whose book is well known throughout the world, Tafsir Al-Quran Al-Azim. Al-Imam Ibn al Rahimullah Rahimahullah, said that he referred to him by Shaykh al-Islam. Shaykh al-Islam, the Shaykh of Islam. Imam Alam, an imam and a great scholar. لم يكن في أخره ولا قبل. Dahrihi, fi mudda afqa minhu that there wasn't anyone in his time nor even before his time for a long time there was no one even before his time and definitely not in his time who was more knowledgeable in fiqh than him and finally al-hafiz diya al says concerning him kana quran wa he was an imam an imam is not as we understand it today the imam who leads the prayer and the masjid and any person who the people select, you know, get in front of us and lead the prayer. Either because he memorized more of the Qur'an, more than them, which should be extended for the imam. Or for any other reason. But imam, it means that a person has excelled in knowledge and in character. And here he is referred to as imam. Imam in the knowledge of Qur'an and its explanation. And imam in hadith or mushkilati. Imam al-Hadith, and also in the knowledge, the intricate knowledge of Hadith concerning those Hadith which contained expressions or words or masail or issues that were confusing or difficult for the people, he was also meticulous and well known for his knowledge in this area. He was not only an imam in fiqh, but he was also an imam in usul al-fiqh, the fundamentals, the principles or rules or laws that are used for the derivation of uh rulings in fiqh and he was an imam in Faraid, the study of inheritance in arabic language and in many other things he mentions some of the scholars said about him that he was very humble with the elite people as well as with the common people and this is one of the characteristics that we expect to find in the scholars and we hope to find in the people of knowledge and that we ourselves should develop following the pattern or the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah He was known to be humble, not only uh, to be humble in front of those people who are considered to be great or elite, but also with the common people who many look down upon, he was also humble in their presence. It is said that his majlis was a place where people would come to sit with him. It was filled with the scholars of fiqh, the scholars of hadith, and the ahl khayr. The people who yani, are known for goodness, whether in charity or otherwise. And he was prolific in his writings. He was known for worship, ibadah, and he always consistently and constantly used to perform the night prayers, tahajjud Concerning his uh, writings, the writings of Al-Imam Ibn Qudama are many, and most of them have been well received by the Muslim Ummah in general. As Sheikh Ibn Rajab, the great scholar of hadith of the Hanbali Madhab, said that Ibn Qudama has authored many books which are very good, particularly the books of fiqh of the Hanbali madhab its fundamentals as well as its branches and he has also authored books in hadith in arabic language and asceticism or zuhud and he has also authored many books in the fundamentals meaning in islamic creed or al-aqidah most of those books are written according to the pattern of the scholars of hadith accompanied by evidences from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ and the sayings of the Sahaba and those who followed after them, the Tabi'in and others. Then he mentions some of the books, some of the well-known books of Ibn Qadamah in fiqh. And the first of them is Al-umda. Which is a very small book, uh, and it is a book that was designed for beginners, beginners in fiqh al-umda. In that book, he used to mention the well-known opinion of the Hanbali madhab, one opinion only, so that the people would know what was the main the rulings of the madhab of Imam Ahmed. The second book he wrote is al-muqni'a, which was more comprehensive than the first one and in that book, Al-Muqni'a, he used to mention more than one opinion, sometimes two of the opinions of the Hanbali madhab, where there was more than one opinion on the same issue so that the student who was on a more advanced level could compare those two opinions and try to select which one was the stronger. The third book he wrote in trip is Al-Kafi and that book is in four volumes. And it's much more comprehensive than the first two. And the last one is his most famous book, Al-Fiqh al-Mughni, al-Mughni, which is in about 10 volumes. And it not only mentions the madhab of Imam Ahmed, but it also mentions the madhahib of the scholars, the fiqh of the Muslim Ummah, the four madhabs, and some of the opinions of the other scholars before the four imams and after them. In Aqeedah, he has written a number of books from amongst them, a book concerning Al-Qadr, Divine Decree, zam Al-Ta'awil, the blameworthy nature of those who make Ta'awil, who give reinterpretation or false interpretations of the Qur'an, or of specifically here in this case referring to the names of Allah and the characteristics of Allah, the asma of Allah and his sifat. And also in Aqeedah he wrote the book which we are going to study, insha'Allah, Lumatul Iratiqad. In Usul Al-Fiqh he wrote many books, the most famous of them is Rawdatul wa Jannatul Munadir which is studied in the Islamic University in Medina as the textbook for Usul Al-Fiqh today. He also wrote books concerning Al-Zuhud, يعني... With, uh, any encouragement to not become attached to the things of the world and to uh, develop our lives and to focus ourselves on the next life which is the real life and he wrote some books in hadith also including the Muqtasa al-Hadith al-Khalal which is a book concerning a very very, very special science in hadith which deals with uh, the uncovering of the hidden defects in hadith that is not يعني, easily detectable by even the scholars except those who are specialists in this field and he wrote يعني, so many other books these are some of the more famous of his books Imam Ibn Qudamah died on the day of Eid al-Fitr after the fast of the month of Ramadan in the year 620 he was buried in Damascus near the grand masjid of the people of the Hanbali Madhab. Rahimuhullah some of the biographies also mention amongst his books just as a note Al-Udda but in fact Al-Udda as far as I know uh, is a book that was written by one of his students a Sheikh Bihawudin Abu Muhammad Abdul Rahman Ibn Ibrahim Ibn Ahmed who was also Maqdasi Dimashqi uh, and that Sheikh or that scholar studied under Ibn Qudama and wrote an explanation of his book al umda and it is called Al-Udda Sharh of al umda some of the Some people mention this book Al-Udda as one of the books of Ibn Qudama, but Allah knows best, it appears as though it is actually an explanation of one of his books done by one of his students. Uh, Concerning Aqeedah or the Islamic Creed Ibn Qadamah wrote a number of books besides that which I mentioned in this introduction and Al-Hafiz Ibn Rajab, Rahimahullah, in his book Al-Zayr Ala Al-Hanabilah that a book which mentions the biographies of the great Hamdali scholars. In that book he mentioned uh, Al-Imam Ibn Qudama and many of his books and he said that there are many in various sciences and from amongst those books in Usul al-Din I mean, in the aqidah, in the fundamentals of the deen, he said that that which he wrote in this science was primarily in accordance with the, the imams of the, of the scholars of hadith, in which his aqidah, he didn't mention it just as points of belief, but he used to mention the proofs for what he said to show that that which he mentioned in that book was really in accordance uh, with the Quran and the Sunnah, he used to mention the evidences proving them. And he also used to avoid argumentation and delving into those matters uh, the minute matters as the people of philosophy used to do concerning the aqidah, but he primarily stuck to that which is clear in the text of the Quran and that which is clear from the Statements of the Prophet and finally he says that he, concerning the matters of aqida and particularly the matters of asma wa sifat, and that is what his book begins with, the matters concerning the names of Allah and the characteristics of Allah. He says that it was his understanding and it was his policy or his position or his methodology that he used to avoid those expressions or that kind of terminology that didn't come from the Qur'an or from the Sunnah. And he used to uh, command the people to confirm whatever came in the Qur'an and Sunnah and to take what came in the Qur'an and Sunnah by its obvious and clear meaning as it's found in the Qur'an and Sunnah without giving re-explanations or trying to explain the how of it or making comparisons or distortions, or negating the meanings of those things, particularly those things that are confirmed in the Qur'an and Sunnah concerning the names of Allah and his characteristics. Those books that he wrote concerning Aqidah are many, one of them is al Qurhan, Fi Mas'alatul Qur'an, that is the proofs concerning the issue of the Qur'an, whether the Qur'an is the speech of Allah which is not created, or is the Qur'an a creation of Allah, Allah created the Qur'an, as some people in the later generations claimed uh... also from amongst the books that he wrote in Aqidah is Mas'alatul Ulu, concerning the issue of Allah being high al-Ali al-A'la that Allah istawa ala al al-'Arsh, that he rose above his throne this issue of Allah being high above the creation also he wrote a book concerning this in two volumes uh, Also of the books that he wrote which we didn't mention previously is a book concerning the fada'il of the Sahaba or the virtues, uh, the virtuous characteristics of the companions of the Messenger of Allah and that book also was written in two volumes. And the last of the books that Ibn Rajab mentions uh, is Mas'ala fi Tahrim al-Nadr fi Kutub Ahlul Kalam and in the issue concerning the prohibition of reading the books of the Ahl-Kalam, the people who relied primarily on their intellect and philosophy to explain the Islamic aqidah rather than relying upon the text of the sayings of Allah in the Quran and the sayings of the Prophet And in that book, he expressed his opinion which is the opinion of the early scholars of the Muslim Ummah that the books of these people should not be read. They should not even be read because they cause Confusion and doubt in the hearts of the believers, well the aqidu that's found in the Quran and the Sunnah is clear, and uh, it is with it we are free of need of the philosophy of those people. <clears throat> Finally, Ibn Saddamah closes by saying that his books were many, and the Muslims generally benefited from them, and specifically the people of the Hanbali Madhab because of the many books that he wrote concerning the fiqh of the Hanbali Madhab. <clears throat> I wanted to mention uh, also tonight just something briefly concerning the author of the explanation of Lumat al-Atiqad because as we mentioned on many occasions, <coughs> the purpose of mentioning the biography of Ibn Qadama is to know something about the Imam whose book we are studying and who we are taking our Aqeedah from so we will know who is this man as opposed to just reading any book not knowing who is the author and taking what they say uh, without knowing who we are taking it from so amongst i mean uh, connected to this since the book that we are studying is the sharh of lummatul atiqad the explanation of the essay of ibni qadama then also we should know something about the one who is giving that explanation we are going to read the text of the book along with the explanation of Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen, Hafidahullah, and therefore we should mention something about this scholar who is a contemporary scholar living today. He is Abu Abdullah Muhammad ibn Salih ibn Muhammad ibn Uthaymeen al-Wuhaybi al-Tamimi. Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen is a very well-known scholar who is a teacher in the two colleges, the College of Sharia, in the College of Usuluddin in Janusul Imam Muhammad, in the uh, branch of that university in the city of Al Qasim. Sheikh Muhammad Al Ushaymeen was born in the city of Uneza in the region called Qasim on the 27th of Ramadan in the year 1347 of the Hijrah. He read the Qur'an, and studied the Qur'an first with his grandfather, from his mother's side. He memorized the Qur'an, and after memorizing the Qur'an, he started to seek the other knowledge of the other sciences of Islam. Of his most important scholars that he studied with, were two of the students of Shaykh Abdurrahman, Al Saadi, who was the very well-known and the most famous scholar, of that time in the area of Qasim, two of his students who were teaching the younger students, two of the students of Sheikh Abdurrahman Al-Saadi, uh, with them he studied a summary of the Aqidah Al-Wasatiyah uh, which was summarized by Sheikh Abdurrahman Al-Saadi from the essay of Aqidah of Sheikh Al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah. al Aqeedah Al-Wasatiyah is also one of the very, very well-known books of Islamic aqidah that is spread throughout the Muslim world he also studied with them Minhaj Al salikin which is a book of fiqh by Shaykh Abd Rahman Al sadi and he studied with them in the, concerning the Arabic language Al-Ajrumiya which is one of the first books that a person who wants to study Arabic language traditionally should study the very small summarized and simple book of Arabic language Al-Ajrumiya and after al he studied Al-Alfiya the book of Al-Imam Al-Suyuti which is a more advanced book and one of the most important books of Arabic language of the past and even in the present time that we are living in he also studied with some of the scholars in that area inheritance, al faraid and fiqh as for his main teacher, his first and most important teacher Shaykh abdurrahman Rahman, Ibni Nasr, Al-Saadi, Rahimahullah he stuck with him for a long period of time and read and studied with him the books of Tawheed, the books of Tafsir, Hadith, Fiqh, Usul Fiqh, Inheritance, Mustalah Hadith, Nahu and Sarf, and including the branches of Arabic language. Also his second teacher and the second most important of his teachers was Shaykh Abdul Aziz, uh, Ibn Baz, Rahimahullah, the former, Mufti of Saudi Arabia and with him he studied Sahih al-Bukhari and some of the essays of Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah as well as some of the books of fiqh. Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen Allah, may Allah protect and preserve him was teaching in the year 1371 in the big masjid, the grand masjid in Qasim when the institutes the, the special institutes for studying the religious sciences were opened in Riyadh then he was accepted to study in one of those institutes uh, in the year 1372 of the Hijrah and yani that's approximately 15 years ago or 48 years ago he studied in that institute and graduated after two years at which time he became a teacher in that same institute but in its branch in Uneza in the region of Al Qasim when well, his sheikh, his first and main sheikh, uh, Abdurrahman al-Sa'di died, then uh, sheikh Muhammad Salih al-Haymeen took over his position as the Imam of the Grand Masjid in Unayza and began to teach there in Unaiza uh, in the big library as well as in the Institute of Islamic Sciences. Then he was transferred to the College of Sharia and the College of Usuluddin in its branch of al Imam Muhammad ibn Sa'ud the Islamic University uh, whose main branch is in Riyadh and that branch which he is teaching in is in Qasim where he still continues to teach until today Sheikh Muhammad Ali Salih also has written many books and of the most important of his books are the books that he wrote concerning the Islamic Aqeedah and those books are also many. The books that he wrote in Aqeedah are many and Alhamdulillah some of those books have even been translated into English amongst the important books that he wrote concerning Al-Aqeedah is Satsh Rabbal Bariyya Bittakhlis Al-Hamadiyya Hamawiyah, is the famous essay of Shaykh Zahmin Taymiya in which he summarized that book and also gave some comments and commentary another book which he wrote which is very important is the book Nubaz Tal Al-Islamiyya is the explanation of the Arkan of Iman the six pillars of faith and in that book he expressed in a simple way the pillars of faith with their evidences which are very important and that book is studied today uh... in the institutes of religious sciences in Saudi Arabia as a third year book for Islamist aqidah another of his important books is al qawaid Al-Mufla Fi Sifat Wa Asma'ihi Al-Husna which is a very small book of about one hundred pages which contains many many principles and rules of how a Muslim should understand uh, the names of Allah and the sifat of Allah and many proofs against those people who went astray concerning these matters of Islamic aqeedah in the Tawheed of Asma wa Sifat and that book uh, is in the marketplace today but unfortunately has not been translated. The next book is the book which we'll, is under study now, Sharh, The Explanation of Ulimmat Al-A'tiqad Al-Hadi ila sabil Al-Rashad Ibn Qadama in which uh, Muhammad, Sheikh Muhammad has given brief explanations and evidences concerning the points that Ibn Qadama mentioned in this book. And that book is also studied in the Institute of Religious Sciences in Saudi Arabia as uh, the first year book and the high school level for the study of Tawheed. Another book that he has written concerning Aqeedah which is available and it has been translated into English is Aqeedah, Aqeedah Ahlul Sumr Al-Juma'ah, in which he summarized the, uh, the Islamic creed that is accepted by the Ahlul Sumr Al-Juma'ah, is a very simple book in which he mentions the arkan of Iman and he gives the proof, proof for each pillar of Iman and brief explanations concerning each of them as well as the fruits or the benefits that one receives by their belief in the Six Pillars of Iman. Another of his books is the Sharh al Aqida al wasatiyah the great essay of Islamic Creed by Shaykh al Taymiyyah and that explanation is also studied in the Institute of Religious Sciences in Saudi Arabia in the third year and that book has been... Uh, the Aqida al has been translated into English which with a brief explanation but the thorough explanation of Sheikh Muhammad al Usaini, which is in two large volumes, uh, each of them probably more than 200 pages, has not been translated, but insha'Allah, there's a project which uh, I was informed of by the owner of Maktab Dar salam in Riyadh when I went to visit this summer. Uh, when we sat with him, he agreed that they will make that as one of their primary projects, insha'Allah, for translation in the very near future. The explanation of al-aqeedah, al-wasatiyah, that explanation of Sheikh Muhammad Musallam al Uthaymeen One of his small essays is the Tafsir of the Ayat al-Kursi, uh, the verse known as uh, Ayat al-Kursi from Surah Al-Baqarah, and in that Tafsir he mentions many issues related to the Aqidah of Asma' wa Sifat, and it is a very, very yeah, and a beneficial book. Uh, inshallah, we hope that it will also be translated in the near future. Also, uh, Shaykh Muhammad has many other books, but for the sake of time, we will skip from here because we want to uh, at least briefly mention some of the introductory principles concerning the Tawheed of Asma wa Sifat, which is the first half of the book of Ibn Qudamah, Lunatul Atiqad. He deals with the ayats of the Quran that deal with Asma wa Sifat and the hadith, uh, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that deal with Asma or the names of Allah and the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so uh, let us begin here after this any introduction let us begin with uh, some basic principles that are of the utmost importance to understand in order that we don't deviate or go astray concerning our belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We know that of all of the beliefs of the Muslims, the most important belief and the foundation of Islam is the Tawheed. And the scholars of Islam have divided Tawheed into various divisions, some of them divided into two divisions, some into three divisions, some into four divisions, and in different ways of explaining the same thing. and to whatever number of divisions they divide it the important thing is that from amongst the the aspects of Tawheed is the Tawheed dealing with how we get to know Allah through the names that He has named Himself with or the names that we knew, we came to know from the Prophet in the authentic hadith as well as the sifat or the characteristics or qualities or the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that are mentioned in the Qur'an or mentioned in the authentic sunnah. How do we understand them? The first principle that Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al in his explanation of numah this section is an introduction to the book from Sheikh Muhammad al Salih Uthaymeen He says Al-Qaida Al-Ula The first Qaida or the first principle, fundamental principle and it is of the utmost importance to understand it I yani, a, a full lecture could be given concerning this principle but what we intend to do is just to summarize it so that we have an idea as we go through the book concerning some of these principles The first one is the obligation towards the text of the Qur'an and the Sunnah that mention the names of Allah or the sifat of Allah, the characteristics of Allah. And any text, verse in the Qur'an or hadith of the Prophet that mentions one of the asma of Allah or one of the sifat of Allah, how are we supposed to look at it? It is obligatory on us concerning the text of the Qur'an and Sunnah that we leave those texts as they are accepting Whatever they indicate, according to its apparent meaning. According to its apparent meaning. The apparent meaning of the text of Qur'an, or of the hadith of the Prophet concerning Allah's names, and Allah's characteristics, should be accepted just as they are. Without making any change in them. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Qur'an in the clear Arabic language. kitab Mubin. is a clear book. And that Arabic language that the Quran was revealed in is the clearest of languages and the easiest to understand. The Prophet of Allah also spoke clear Arabic language. Therefore, it is obligatory on us to leave the indications of the speech of Allah and the speech of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu just as they are, just as they are obviously and clearly understood in the Arabic language. Another reason why we shouldn't make any change in the clear indications of the text of Quran and Sunnah is because changing it from its obvious meaning is entering into al qawl Ala Allahi Bila Ilm. And yani it causes a person to say something about Allah without knowledge. And yani if anybody reinterprets what Allah has said concerning Himself in the Quran, then they begin to say something that they have no real knowledge of, because the knowledge concerning Allah can only this speaking about Allah without knowledge, saying something about Allah other than what Allah has said about Himself. Or other than what the Messenger of Allah وسلم, has said about him is haram. It is haram. To speak about Allah without knowledge. And this is based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-A'raf chapter 7 verse 33. Rabbi al ma wa ma That verily really Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made haram. Has made forbidden. My Lord he has made forbidden al-fawahisha great sins of all types even in indecency whatever is openly done as well as that which is secretly done wal-isma wal-baghya bi-gayr al-haq and also sins in general or, or minor sins also are prohibited and forbidden as well as oppression or transgression without the right to do so and transgressing the bounds of someone violating their rights this is also it is forbidden by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he says, and these last two points which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made forbidden are the most important. وَأَن بِاللَّهِ مَا لَمْ يُنَزِّلْ بِهِ سُلْطَانًا And to associate with Allah something or someone that Allah has given no authority for you to do so. I yani to compare or to associate or to make equal with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala any of the creatures in His creation, human or otherwise, in any way, whether in His divine qualities or characteristics of perfection, or in His right to be worshipped, or in any other way, whoever compares or associates or makes anyone equal or partner with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these things, they have committed shirk. And then He says, the final point that Allah has prohibited in this ayah, He says, "وَأَن تَقُولُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ and to say about Allah that which you do not know. Some of the scholars of Tafsir said it is interesting to note that Allah has combined these two things together making the commission of shirk doing any act of associating something or someone with Allah he has compared it or brought it together with speaking about Allah without knowledge. It shows the severity of speaking about Allah without knowledge. An example of distorting or changing the obvious meaning of any text Walaikumussalam uh, Is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala In Surah Ma'ida, Chapter 5 verse 64 This is the speech of Allah Rabbul Alameen uh, InshaAllah after the class I You can get a copy We can make a copy inshaAllah uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Concerning himself And he is the best know of himself Bal yadahu مَبْسُوطَتَانُ يُنْفِكُ كَيْفَ يَشَاءُ That in in fact, his two hands are widely stretched out. And he spends however he wills. يعني Allah spends freely and bountifully. He gives of his bounties and favors as much as he wills. Here in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala confirms for himself that he has two hands. بَلْ يَدَاهُ مَبْسُوطَتَانُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala confirms that he has yada or yadayn, yadan, two hands. To reinterpret or to change the meaning of this statement of Allah in any way other than what, it, what is obviously understood is speaking about Allah without knowledge. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Qur'an in the language of the people to whom it was sent to first, to hear it. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa was sent from amongst the, the Arabs, from amongst the Quraysh, and the Qur'an was revealed in the language of the people to whom he was sent to in a language that was known to them and it was clear Arabic language. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala confirms his two hands, that his hands are widely outstretched. They are open, spending freely, however he wills So the obvious meaning of this verse is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has two real hands. Of course as we know and we studied previously that we confirm whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has confirmed for Himself and what the Prophet sallallahu has confirmed for Him without making comparison between the characteristics of Allah and the characteristics of His creatures. We don't say that Allah's hands is like human beings hands. Nor do we say that Allah's hands is like any animal's hands or any other creature in His creation. Just as human beings have real hands. And horses have hands, monkeys have hands. But the hands of a monkey are not like the hands of a horse. The hands of a horse are not like the hands of an elephant The hands of an elephant are not like the hands of an ant. But yet, they are real hands, hands. And so we say, that the hands of the creatures are understood in a way that is suitable for the creatures. And the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are understood in a way that is suitable for the Divine Creator of the heavens and the earth according to His majesty and His glory and His greatness. We don't compare them to anything in creation nor do we try to interpret the how of them to say perhaps His hands are like this or His hands are like that. But we confirm that Allah has hands and the how of them is only known to Allah Taala. just as Allah has a that, a self or a person and the that of Allah, the person or the self of Allah is different than the zawat of the human beings. The human beings have persons, but they are not like Allah's divine that. So just as Allah's person is different, it is divine, so also his characteristics are different than his creatures, and they are also divine. So without negating the meaning of what Allah has confirmed for himself, without trying to express the how of it, without making comparison, you simply confirm what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has confirmed, and leave it like that. There are some people who would say that the intended meaning of Allah's hands, it means that Allah has quwa, it means power. That the hands of Allah, when Allah says He has hands, it means His power. There are other people who says it means ni'mah, that it means His bounty on His savers. They They it like this because they didn't want to accept the obvious meaning of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala confirmed for Himself thinking. That if they confirmed that Allah has hands, then they wouldn't be making a comparison to the creatures. But we say that there is no need to make a comparison, we confirm that he has hands and say that the how of it is in a way that is suitable to the glory, the greatness and the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We say to those people who say that Allah's hands means power or that it means his favor or his bounty or any other interpretation, we say to them that this is changing the speech of Allah. And removing it from its obvious meaning that is understood in the clear Arabic language that the Quran was revealed in to the people who understood Arabic language. And this is not permissible, because speaking about Allah without knowledge is haram. The next principle, Al-Qaeda thaniya after this principle of accepting the text of the Quran and Sunnah as it came concerning the names of Allah and its characteristics or qualities. The second principle, this is in reference to the text of the Qur'an and Sunnah that we it as it is. The second principle is in reference to the names of Allah, the names of Allah. As opposed to the characteristics of Allah, the qualities of Allah, the asma of Allah. The second principle is concerning the asma of Allah. And the principles concerning the asma of Allah are many. Here, Shaykh Muhammad Salli al mentions a few of the fundamental principles concerning the names of Allah under this area of the names of Allah we said that there are a number of principles from amongst them is the asma of Allah kulluha husna that the names of Allah all of them are husna the names of Allah are all perfect good, perfectly good names they are to the highest degree of perfection because these names of Allah contain perfect characteristics the names of allah contain within that name it's not just a name that something is identified by but it also contains the characteristic of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his name and those perfect characteristics that are contained in the names of allah have no defect in any way whatsoever allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in surah al-a'raf chapter 7 verse 180 walillahi al-asma' al-husna that حسنى, the most perfect and beautiful and best names they belong to Allah alone. Wa-lillahi al-asma husna that these names are exclusively belonging to Allah subhanahu taala. Meaning in their highest degree or the degree of perfection. To the degree of perfection, they belong to Allah subhanahu taala alone. An example of this is the name Ar rahman which, by the way, was rejected by the Quraysh. When the Prophet ﷺ came to them and called them to Islam and when they heard this name Ar-Rahman they said where did we get this name from? We don't know Allah by the name Ar-Rahman. One of the names of Allah is Ar-Rahman and it is one of the greatest names of Allah. It is contained within it a characteristic, a very great characteristic, it is Ar-Rahma. Ar-Rahman, the name Ar-Rahman contains the characteristic of Allah of Rahmah. ar Rahmah, mercy. From this principle that the names of Allah are perfect because of the characteristics that they contain which give us a description of Allah. Not only as a name of identity but they also tell us something about the description of Allah. We know from this that ad dahar ad dahar the time, that it is not one of the names of Allah. Because this name ad dahar it doesn't contain a characteristic of perfection or of goodness as the names of Allah are supposed to contain. Because Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala says that لِلَّهِ asmal الْحُسْنَةِ That all of Allah's names, they are Asma Al-Husna. Any name that it doesn't have the characteristic or quality of perfection then it wouldn't be from the names of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala. As for the saying of the Prophet Sallallahu in the hadith that's reported by imam Muslim in his Sahih on the authority of Abu Huraira, he said, "Sallallahu Alaihi wasallam, لا fa inna فإن الله هو dahr Don't speak abusively against the dahr, the time, or don't curse or use abusive speech against the time. fa inna Allah hu aldhah. For very Allah he is the dahr Some of the people misunderstood this hadith and understood that the Prophet sallallahu wasallam is saying that Allah is in fact time Allah is a dhahr but in fact in all the narrations of that hadith uh, in one of those narrations the Prophet ﷺ reported authentically and he reported authentically in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad uh, the saying of the Prophet ﷺ قَالْ don't speak abusively against the time for very really Allah has said اَنَا Al the days and the nights are mine, they belong to me. The meaning of the put here, it means that Allah is saying, I am the one who controls the time. ال- 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 the days and the nights belong to me, بدها, I remove them as I like and cause them to go away as I like. Also. So once the narration of the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi al-Bukhari, a Muslim, explaining the meaning of this hadith that Allah is not, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself is not the time is the statement of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam بيدي الأمر أقلبوا that in my hand is the amr, the command, the control I am the one who turn over the night and the day this means that Allah is saying here that He is the one who controls the time. He is the one who controls the night and the day. Also of the, how is time remaining before the Adam? Five minutes? Five. The second principle, or the second uh, subdivision concerning the names of Allah is that the names of Allah are not limited to a particular number, as many people misunderstood that the names of Allah are ninety nine in number and no more. That Allah has ninety nine names only and no more. This is an incorrect belief and it is proven by the by many proofs and from Also is hadith of the Prophet. Here the Shaykh says that the saying the the first proof of this is the saying of the Prophet in the famous hadith. That hadith is authentic. It is reported from Abdul ibn Mas'ud in the Muslim Imam Ahmed <تصفحي> In the Sahir Ibn Hibban and the and the Al-Hakam and the Al-Hafiz Ibn Qayyim mentioning his book Shafal al and so many other scholars mention it, and amongst the contemporary scholars who said that that hadith was Sahih was Sheikh Ahmed Shakir, who was a contemporary one of the greatest contemporary scholars of our time from Egypt and also Sheikh Muhammad Masuddin Al-Albani رحمه الله that hadith the Prophet <to> said أسألك اللهم بكل اسم هو أو أنزلته في كتابك أو أحدا من خلقك أو به في علم الغيب عندك يعني here in this dua of the Prophet he said O oh Allah I ask you by every name that belongs to you what you have named yourself with I ask you by every name not only calling you by one of your names but by every name that belongs to you what you have named yourself with or what you have revealed in your book or what you have taught to any one of the creatures of your creation. Even by every name that you have taught to anyone in the creation. Maybe you didn't, all the people didn't know about it. The names that you named yourself with, the names that you revealed in your book, the names that you taught to any one of your creatures, اوستأثرت And even those names which you have kept in the علم ghayb, in the knowledge of the unseen which you have kept for yourself, that none of the creatures know about. If we know about Allah's 99 names, then also Allah has names that only some of his creatures know about. And Allah has names that none of his creatures know about, that he has kept for himself in the ilm al and indahu. Here the shaykh says that when Allah has kept in the ilm al with himself, it is not possible for anyone to know those names or to know what are their number. It is not possible because that is something that's under the knowledge of the unseen, it's not known to prophets, nor angels, nor anyone, it is known only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, the way that we eliminate or we make reconciliation between this hadith which mentions the name of Allah being unlimited and the hadith which most people are aware of, due to which we thought that Allah's names are only 99, that is the hadith which in which it is reported that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi said and that hadith is reported in Bukhari and Muslim, on the authority, uh, the narrative of the hadith is not here but in any case, that hadith is is mustafiqin alayhi both al-Bukhari and muslim He said inna lillahi wa really Allah has 99 names man ahsaha difficult to explain but some scholars say it means whoever memorized it whoever knew their meanings whoever acted in accordance with their meanings whoever did so they would enter paradise the people understood from this that Allah has only 99 names إِنَّا لِلَّهِ تِسْعَةً وَتِسْعِينَ إِثْمًا Allah has 99 names, whoever memorized them and practice them, they will enter the paradise. He said that really the meaning of this hadith is that from amongst the names of Allah, from amongst the names of Allah, the many countless names of Allah, from amongst them there are 99 names. Which? There are 99 particular names that whoever enumerates them. Count them, memorize them, and live in accordance with them, that they will enter paradise. And Allah has many names, from amongst them are 99 that we should attend to and try to memorize and come to know them and be familiar with them and act in accordance with them. But the meaning of this hadith is not that Allah's names are limited to this particular number. <coughs> Here the Shaykh gives an example to make, يعني, give some clarity to this point. He said, This is similar. If you would have said that I have 100, dirhams or let's say riyals because riyals are closer to us here and we don't know what a dirhams He said if you were to say I have 100 riyals which I have put aside for sadaqah 100 riyals which I have put aside for sadaqah this doesn't negate the fact that you might have other riyals besides that that are not for sadaqah if you said I have 99 riyals for sadaqah this is Inshallah Let us just uh, take the adhan, listen to the adhan. And after the adhan, just five minutes, then we will close.